seeing a transition. There's a change of scenery today. We've been in the same uh, in the same general conversation.
As we're looking at this passage and we see this story, uh, many of us are familiar with it. And I will confess, I, I have seen this story out of its context more often than not. Whether it's in my own study or hearing it preached or just hearing it talked about, maybe on a flannel graph back in Sunday school when I was a kid, we hear these stories as standalone things. And we must always remember that all of has a context. We need to understand that context to be able to understand the scripture. So everything that happens before this, as I mentioned, is Jesus talking about here's the values that God has, and we need to get lined up with that. He closes that out by speaking of God's eternal word that doesn't change. And faith that isn't some mystical quantity of things. It's not a matter of how much faith you have. It's a matter of obedience, faith in action, faith trusting the truth of God's word and resulting in an action. So coming out of that, we see what appears to be a standalone story. Because everything after this is a completely different topic. Jesus then goes into talking about the coming kingdom. We'll see that next time. But Jesus talks about what's going to happen
this story, understand it's not a parable. A parable is a made-up fictional story that Jesus uses to illustrate a point. Not just Jesus, but primarily Jesus. It has a single point. He's got this, this particular thing that he's fictionalized and said, here it is. This isn't that. This actually happened. And yet, Luke seems to be using it to illustrate everything that he said in the last several chapters up until this point. Hopefully we'll see that as we go along. As you read this text, I have always heard it preached. Not always. Almost always. And I have almost always understood it in my personal reading to be focused on gratitude. Anybody else raise your hand if you always thought this was about gratitude? I'm going to challenge that as we read it. See as you read it if that's what you actually see. Now it is, but it is. Now my mama told me that I needed to be thankful. And this was a parable that, or a story that she used to remind me of that. When somebody does something for you, you need to be thankful. Specifically, you need to be thankful to God. Absolutely part of what Luke is trying to do. Here's our core reality. Hopefully you'll see this clearly as we go. The purpose of our healing is the glory of the healing. The purpose of our healing is the glory of the healer. As we look at this story, it's not actually about the lepers. And it's not actually about the lepers. And it's not about their circumstances getting better. Unfortunately, in the world today, globally, it's one of our great exports from the U.S., but it's, it's a big thing globally, we have focused in on various distortions of the gospel that you can generally, as a, a cluster, lump together as a prosperity gospel. But it's not just some teacher out there teaching a name it, claim it, health and wealth thing. We all are saved by this. Because we tend to see the scriptures as showing God's favor only when God answers our prayers. We see God's favor when God does what we want. We tend to get this self-help idea, this, this counseling sort of Christianity that says, if you come to church, if you get in God's word, if you do what God says, everything in your life is going to get better. There's truth in that. When God tells us that, that's good. When God tells us how to handle life, and we handle life that way, that's a pretty good plan. Make sense? Somebody say amen if you know that's true. That's why we have the book of Proverbs and the wisdom writing. But not everything that we see there is a guarantee or a promise. The problem we run into, just like Israel did, just like the Jews of this day are doing, as we have been doing in a huge way in evangelical world in the last 70 years,
sin that separates us from God. As we look at this story, notice that the focus of the lepers is on the leprosy. Which makes sense, doesn't it? If you were a leper, wouldn't that be your focus? Aren't we every day focused on the things in front of us that we see, that we perceive with our senses? Whether it's good or bad. Yesterday, you know, River Valley's baseball and softball team both won the district championship, and everybody was, yay, great. But there's a lot of stuff going on in the world. While they're celebrating district championships, people are dying. People are suffering loss. Lives are being harmed. The wicked oppressing the innocent. And that great victory in that moment didn't change. At the same time, some of us are sucked into this small world that we see this pain that we are going through. We see the difficulties that we face. And it makes it difficult for us to see if there's anything else beyond that. Jesus trumps all of those things. Always. His focus, as he's been showing us in his teaching in the last several chapters, is on God's kingdom agenda. God sees all of it. At the same time, you're watching a ball game and somebody else is enduring suffering. God sees all of it. And not just in the moment, he sees the vast scope of all time and space. And you can imagine for yourself, looking at a timeline, if you open your encyclopedia, some of you don't know what that is, right? Your encyclopedia. And you open it up and you have a timeline of history. And as you look at it, all of that history has taken place at various points along it. You're not a part of that history. You're outside of it looking on it. God sees history much like that. We can put God into human terms. What he sees as this timeline, we see as yet future or long past. He's above it. He's beyond it. He is sovereign and can handle all of these things. Let's take a look at how this particular story sort of summarizes and illustrates what Jesus has been saying. Flip back to, to chapter 14. We're not going to read all of this. We're just going to kind of scan it so you can see it. In fact, if your Bible has headings, we'll be able to see a lot of it just in the headings as we go through it. But starting in chapter 14, Jesus is at a Pharisee's house having dinner. And, and a, a, a man is there who has a, an abnormal swelling of his body. We Pharisees, that if you really understood life, that's sort of implicit, you know what if you really understood the reality, the eternal truth of God, then you would be able to make these connections. If it's the Sabbath, you got a, an ox that you know, falls in the ditch, you're going to get it out. If you have a son who gets falls into a well, you're going to get him out. Because compassion pumps ritual. And while God gave us the Sabbath, there are bigger principles in play. God's in this particular story, Jesus demonstrating such compassion. He goes on to talk about this uh, this great uh, wedding feast, this great banquet, uh, talking about what the Lord will do. Uh, and, and he gives this, this picture, since they're at a dinner, he gives this picture so that he can draw out the value of humility. All the guests are trying to get their special seats. 
chapter 15, we see three parables that give us this picture of, of the Lord valuing the saving of the lost. Luke really sees that clearly, having been the outsider, having grown up in a world where the Jews worshipped God, Yahweh, and everybody else was outside. So as he's seeing these stories, do you think he's really paying attention to this Samaritan guy? He's got ten lepers, many of which were Jews. I think we can assume, it's speculation, but I think it's safe to assume that nine of them, at least the majority, but I would say probably nine of them are Jews because they are passionately concerned with getting to the priest to get rid of 
the reality of it is Jesus has a passion for saving the lost because God the Father has a passion for saving the lost. And we see that illustrated here in this, in this event. In chapter 16, there is a purposefulness. This parable of the shrewd manager tells us that God gives us resources to use for His eternal kingdom purposes. And He calls us as Christians not to be dopey, but to be shrewd. To be, as Jesus says elsewhere, as wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. Not to be shady, not to try to cheat people, not to look for loopholes, but to use the resources God gives us, whatever they are, to build His eternal kingdom, to do His work His way. Jesus is able to heal the sick. He doesn't heal everybody, though, does he? there is a finality to the end of this life. When we get to the end, we don't get second chance. God's word stands, period. We don't get to, you know, talk in, talk into our, our way into heaven. We don't get to say, well, more faith. 
mustard seed, then the, this tree could be uprooted and thrown into the sea. You're missing the point. The point is, be like the servant who recognizes, I don't need some special reward. What I need is to do my job. So 
these ten who are all ostracized, who would probably never talk to each other, at least not to the Samaritan in any other circumstance, are bonded by their misery. by an addiction or a behavior you can't fix. Maybe you've done something that cost you your job or cost you relationships, and that darkness that you caused puts you in the same boat, whether you're the victim or the victimizer. Sometimes she'll gather the crowd and talk directly to them. But with this situation, with these ten, he simply says, Go show yourself to the priest. That's it. That's all. Jesus who commands heaven and earth is not an issue for us. We'll get to the next question in a moment. Check this out. Leprosy is what caused them to seek Jesus. Suffering leads us to the healer. Leprosy is their suffering. 
suffering. Biblically, it serves as a picture of sin, as we said. If they had not been aware of the nature of their sickness, they would not have sought healing. We dare not tell the world that sin is not sin. That they are not sick. That our nature or orientation somehow justifies disobedience.
feel like I can't do this. Nothing can fix this. I'm wasting away. Yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles. most of his New Testament writing time in prison. He eventually beat his flawed, he's stoned and left for dead, he's shipwrecked, he goes through all these things. He's like, man, forget about that. I get Jesus. I'm bigger and better. The point is, with our perspective being eternal, when we put our eyes higher, we recognize that all we go through in this life is light and momentary trouble. But they're achieving for us, in verse 17, an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So then we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. What is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. The purpose of our healing is in fact the glory of the healing. These lepers do what Jesus says. He commands them to go to priests. So they do. And that's when the healing takes place. Notice our next point. Obedience is the nature of faith. Obedience is the nature of faith. In Luke 17, verse 14, we see it. When he saw them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, and would say, As they went, they were cleansed. As they went, they were cleansed. Jesus said it. It was already true. This was the reality that was going to happen, but they needed to act on it. They didn't need to feel it. I'm sure that several of these guys that are doing it are like, really, that's all you're giving me, Jesus? You're just going to tell me to go to Greece? What about the dude you put the mud on? Remember him? And it made it any better? You're not going to come and, and touch me with your magic hands? James, I won't have you turn there, but you might want to jot it down. James 2, verses 14 to 26. James 2, verses 14 to 26. James, who's the half-brother of Christ, same mom, different dad. And as James is uh, teaching this to us, what he says is, you really think that your faith is really worth anything if you don't act on it? You're going to tell me you got faith. How about we show it? You know, if you tell somebody, you know, who comes to your door in the middle of the winter and they're cold and, you know, you want a place to stay, and you say, go in peace, you want them well fed. I'm going to paraphrase, James. You're an idiot. That's not loving. You're not helping them. What good is that to them? Give them shelter. Give them your coat. Do something.
faith is the object of our faith. That's why Jesus was not really rebuking, but redirecting the disciples when they're asking for more faith. Really? More faith. I am the point. When your faith is in Jesus Christ, God in flesh, who loved you enough to die for you and demonstrated that He is who He says He is by rising from the dead, is there anything too big for Him? Is there anything too big for Him? This is not rhetorical in any way. Is there anything too big for Jesus? If my faith is in Jesus, it doesn't matter how much faith I have. It matters if it's Jesus. If I put my faith in my religion, my religion will fail me. If I put my faith in my strength, my strength will fail me. If I put my faith in my education, or my friends, or my wealth, or my brilliant plans, they will all fail me. Jesus will not.
leper recognized Jesus the Messiah. They saw the one who could heal their bodies. He bowed before the one who heals their souls. Let me read this, these verses from the Amplified Version because he brings it out. When Jesus says that your faith has restored you to health, not saying it's your magical quality of faith, because you believe, believe it hard enough. and go on your way, your faith, your personal trust in me, and your confidence in God's power has restored you to health. Your gratitude wasn't just thanks for fixing my situation, it was focused on the giver of the gift. Our victory is not about the victory, but the victor. Our victory is not about the victory, but the victor. They got the victory over the leprosy. Nine of them stopped there, focused on that victory. Great, awesome. End of story, everybody wins. Yay, roll credit. But there's more. Why is there more? Because it's not about that. 
all of the prosperity gospel garbage, and I say that with disdain and disrespect, absolutely. The heresy that is teaching us that God demonstrates His favor only when He answers our prayers our way. When God fixes our temporal situation, that is heresy. It is not biblical. But that teaching has crept in and undermined our faith in the truth of the Bible and the truth of the Gospel because we think if God doesn't do what I think God should do, He must not love me. I must not belong to Him. Maybe the Bible isn't even true. Jesus saying, I'm going to fix your body. It's Jesus 
Jesus is saying, I'm going to fix your soul. I'm going to take you from death, dead in your sins, to life because I died for you. And if you will come, then just come. If you'll just come, grace, abundance, and free because I've already paid for it. But the victory isn't so you can get a new car or a better house or get rid of your cancer or your leprosy. So that you never have to die again. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The, under, the, the underpinnings of your faith. Let nothing move you. Let nothing shake you from believing the truth because it will not fail. Nothing is in vain. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Get on board with His agenda. What God is doing will prevail. When you feel like purpose of our healing is the glory of the 